There is a common refrain that's being sung throughout all the airwaves in the United States and around the world. It's a refrain you can hear on local news and on national news. It's a refrain you can read on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. It's something you hear on the radio from friends and family and neighbors. Everyone is singing a refrain that begins, what we need most is, and then they put in what they think they need most. What we need most is social distancing, some say. Some say what we need most is more surgical masks. Others say what we need most is government intervention or a stimulus package. Others say what we need most is data on the virus or testing. Some say what we need most is more ventilators or hospital beds. Some say we need more information. Others say we just need to self-quarantine. That's what we need most. Others say we need the state or the government, national government, to step in and lock us down. Everybody thinks they know what they need most. But can any of those things really be said, what, th that, those things be what we really need most? I think we need something else. Today, as we focus our attention away from the uncertainties of the pandemic swirling around us, we want to look to what we need most. We need God most, and we need a promise from His Word. You see, the primary way God comforts His people from His Word during uncertain times is through His promises. Now, he comforts his people with promises during all times, but especially during uncertain times. So you can gain confidence today based on God's promises. You can build a life based on God's promises. There's a bedrock of surety that you can put based on God's promises. You can find certainty and hope based on God's promises. And the Bible is full of them. If you have extra time, Troll through the Bible and look for all the promises that you can say, ah, that's mine. I can hold on to this. And so we're going to pick one today. And we're going to pick a big one. We're not going to pick a manageable promise, but a big, outlandish, unapologetic, unruly promise. We're going to pick a promise that's going to make our ears tingle. We're going to pick a promise that will excite our senses and inflame our insides. We're going to pick a promise that kind of makes us gasp. We're going to pick a promise that will cause us to say, really? Is that really true? We need that kind of promise. And only our God can give, deliver a promise that big. We need that kind of promise to help us navigate the perplexing and angry waters of this pandemic. The, a global pandemic calls for a universal promise. Our problems, big problems, demand bigger promises. And here's the one we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Christians from another age called this the great 28. We're going to look at, what God, at this big promise that should make our ears tingle. Verse 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Let's look at it again. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purposes. How many things? All things. Even in a pandemic? Yes. 
There are some promises, John Bunyan wrote, that I would not have out of the Bible for as much gold and silver as can lie between York and London piled to the stars. This is one of those promises. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. My goal this morning outruns my abilities. It's that you would really believe this promise. That you would see it as a place you can stand in these swirling uncertainties. Even though we don't know what is coming next, we can see what God is doing in our lives. That's what I want you to see. One more time. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Join me as I pray just briefly here. Lord, I would much rather be looking into the faces of my friends than looking into the camera lens. I would much rather be gathered today on Sunday morning celebrating the resurrection of your son. I would much rather be gathering together in one place as a body, but I'm grateful we can gather virtually together. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless our time this morning. We know that your word is not limited. And so I pray that for everyone that hears the word this morning, they would feel your comfort. And so I ask that you would do that for us this morning and help us to be able to lay hold of this promise. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those called according to his purpose. Four reasons for our confidence this morning. We're going to review from this passage four reasons we should have confidence. First, God is always working for those who love him. God is always working for those who love him. Notice this promise is for those who love God. This promise for us who love God stands like a citadel, a fortress against a howling wilderness of darkness, doubt, and the devil. But this promise is not for everyone. Just as we can be certain that God never stops working for the good of his people, we can be doubly certain that God has never started working for those who are not yet believers. And so if you are listening to this and you're not a Christian, you need to recognize this promise is not for you. One of the ways that the Bible describes people who, love, who, who follow Jesus is that they love God. The question's not, do you know about God? The question's not, have you raised your hand at a meeting one time or prayed a prayer or gotten baptized? It's, do you love him? And you can tell if you love him by looking at your life. Do you follow him? Do you follow him? Listen, God only works for good for those that love him. And you might think, man, he's being really harsh. I haven't told you the half. The wrath of God is fierce and unquenchable for those who do not love God. So what can you do? Do you want this promise to be for you if you're not a believer? All you need to do is come to him. Jesus himself announces, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
So you don't need to bring your good intentions. You don't need to bring your good deeds. You don't need to bring your promises. You can come to him and say, all I have is thirst. I want something different. I recognize I'm a sinner who needs to follow you. And you bring your need, and this promise can be for you. Jesus can wipe away the stain from your heart because he was punished for your sin. Then, Romans 8.28 can be for you, too. So who is this promise for? It's for those who love God. Now, if you're a believer, a follower of Jesus, you might think, do I love him enough? A lot of us are tempted in that way. Notice, we're not asked to measure how much do we love God. This text does not say, for those of you who love God at least 5 out of 10, he will work all things together for your good. He is not inviting us to measure how much we love God. Nor is he saying that all things will work out for our good if our love for God is strong. The promise is for those who love God. The question is, do you love him? Do you ever love him as much as you should? No. Do you love him the same in every moment? No. Do you love him with the same fire all the time? No. Do you love him as much as he deserves? No way. But do all genuine Christians love God? Yes. If you love God, Romans 8.28 is for you. God is working for those who love Him. God is working for those who love Him. And that's the first thing we can see. The second thing is God is always working for your good. God works all things together for your good. Now, to say that doesn't mean that we as Christians should pretend that everything we go through is good. It is not. It is not good that this world is being faced with this pandemic that is challenging people's health and the economic stability of the world. We Christians, we know the difference between good and evil. This promise does not ask us to ignore evil. This promise recognizes that not all experiences we have will be good. But it says... Our God will work in things, no matter what they are, for our good. He doesn't just turn bad into good. He doesn't turn bad into good. He does something far more basic and fundamental. He uses bad situations to bring about good things for his purposes and his glory. He, brings, he, 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 he does something much more basic. Bad situations in our lives, he, brings, he, he works for good for his glory. Now recognize this text does not promise that we will always understand how he is working for our good. It just says God is always working for our good. This text does not promise we will have an answer to all our whys and all our hows. It promises that God will work together for our good. He is always working. One of my favorite quotes by the great preacher John Piper is this. God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. And you may be aware of three of them. In times like this, that is absolutely true. You see, things in our life don't just work out. God must work them through to make anything good. Now, if you expect to see all of the 10,000 things God is doing in your life 
in these days you will be disappointed you may become disillusioned but that's not the promise the promise is not that you will understand how God works all these things for your good tomorrow or next week or next year or 10 years from now or 20 years from now the promise is that he works them together for our good we need to recognize that if the promise said we will always understand the hows and the whys of life, we would necessarily have to follow a God we could understand. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to be a people center church that follows a God that we can understand and comprehend. A God that we can understand and comprehend is not one that I would ever want to worship. That's a God I would pity and feel sorry for. We need a God who is bigger than we can imagine. A God who can take evil things that come upon us and use them for our good. He is not limited in that way. He's not up in heaven wringing his hands and saying, ah, I wish this wasn't happening, but I'll do my best to help them. No, he sees evil coming to us and he uses that evil for our good. That's a God I can worship. That's a God I can follow. That's a God who, when he gives promises, I can build my life upon them. That's what we can do here at Center Church. The power of God is not limited to the strength of our perceptions. We're never going to truly understand the purposes of this infinite God, but we do know this almighty God will use all things for our good. All things, no exception. So what have we seen so far? God is working for those who love Him. God is always working for your good. The third promise we need to see in Romans 8.28 is this. Christians go through all kinds of things. Christians go through all kinds of things. And this might be the hardest part. This might be the part that causes most confusion. You see, we can, as we follow Jesus, we can think that because we follow Jesus, our lives will be better and we will be protected in some way or shielded in some way from the worst things that life has to spit at us. Right? Do good and expect good. That's not the promise. And we know it says, Romans 8.28, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You can see implicit in here that Christians go through all kinds of things, even nasty things. You see, it's tempting to think that if I follow Jesus, my life is kind of just going to get better and better and better and better. Not necessarily. Christians go through all kinds of things. We are not shielded. It's not as if there's a category of things that people out in the world go through and then there's a category of things that we go through. No. It's not as if we're going to always be protected from the big catastrophes. We Christians, we go through all kinds of things just like anyone else. Do you know what the difference is? The difference is, is that we know God will use them for our good. That's the difference. The difference isn't in what we go through. The difference is in the God that we serve. The difference is the promise that we can stand on is not things are going to get better, maybe. Or maybe I won't have to have to go through this again. But the promise is God will use this, even this, that I can't understand for my good. And it's here we recognize, in part, some of the ear-tingling effect of this promise. You see, 
things going well. That, that doesn't determine whether or not God is working. We're aware that God is working when things are going well and we're being blessed. Oh, that was like, yeah, this is great. God's working. But are we just as aware when things aren't? You see, when things aren't going well, it's there. We need to lay hold of this promise and say, you know, I might not be able to see how things are going to work out or how this is going to be used for my good, but I know my God is working. You see, we build our lives on promises like that. We don't build our lives on whether the Dow will jump back or our 401k will improve. But that God uses evil things like this. He works in and through these situations for our good. We Christians, we will go through, we should expect to go through the same kinds of things as everyone else. And God will use those, even those, for our good. So what have we seen? We've seen God is working for those who love Him. We've seen God is always working for our good. We've also seen Christians go through all kinds of things. And lastly, your good may not be what you think is best. Your good may not be what you think is best. You know, when we read, when I read Romans 8.28, and it says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. I take in my mind what good looks like and put it into this passage. I say, okay, well, I know what good looks like. Good looks like health. Good looks like have enough money. Good looks like um, everybody likes me. Good looks like boom, 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 boom. But is that the good? No. Good may not be what you think is best. Do you know what the good is? The good is described in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, here's the good, to be conformed to the image of his son. Do you see the good? Look again. To be conformed to the image of his son. The good that God is working toward in our lives is that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So when we hear this and we know that for those who love God, all things will work together for good, we ought to put in our minds, what is the good for me? Here's the good. The good is that I am being made more like Jesus through this horrible situation. That's the good. It's not for nothing. It's for something. And you know what? God is taking all these things and saying, I am molding you into somebody who looks more like Jesus. That is the good. You see, this is why it's so important. We are being conformed into the likeness of Jesus as we go through these horrible things. This is critical. This is why we need to understand. Whenever we face times of uncertainties like these, and when our lives lose their normal moorings and we wonder what in the world is happening or how can God use this or did I do something to deserve this? We can hold on to the fact that God is working for our good. He's working. He's working in and through us for His purposes to conform us to be more like His Son. That makes a world of difference. That makes Everything we have to go through, no matter how crazy these things get, worthwhile. Because the Christian says, ah, there is nothing, nothing I desire 
but to be more like Jesus. That's what the Christians, that's what we say. That's our great desire, Center Church. That's why we want to be a people fixed on Jesus. Fixed on Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. We want to look at Jesus. Think about that, though, also. Think about Romans 8.28 from his perspective. See, we say, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. I know that to be true. You know that to be true if you're a Christian. For those who are called according to his purpose. But yet, but yet, the one good servant that ever walked the earth serving God's purposes was not treated like this. That one perfect servant, Jesus Christ, when he hung knowing the plan that he would have to die so that we might be able to come to him, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was the one that really did love God. He was the one who really did deserve better. You see, we can know for sure and for certain that we can have confidence that he will work in and through us not just because it says it here in the Bible, though we can, but also because that's not the way he treated his son. How can we gain confidence? Because the one who really did love God in that moment, the one who really did love God enough, the one who really did love God was crushed and destroyed. He was treated as if he was guilty for all of my sin. And if you're a Christian, that's true for you, too. He did everything right, and yet was treated like me, so that I might be able to look and say, I've done nothing right, but I have him. That's what we say, Christians. The reason we can take confidence here is that God's word says it, yes, but also also, also, we don't have to fear punishment for sin. It's not as if this is happening to us because we are guilty. We're guilty, but we've been forgiven. Jesus is working in and through us. You see, we haven't been promised answers. We've been given the promised one. You know, in a million years from now, in a million years from now, we won't even remember the pandemic of 2020. The questions we're asking today, like, what's my job situation going to be like? What's my retirement going to be like? Where am I going to live? What does this mean? Am I going to be healthy? Christian, all of those questions we won't even remember in eternity. We're not going to ask in eternity, why did you let this happen? We're going to ask a different kind of question one million years from now. We're going to say, Lord, tell me again, why did you destroy your son so that I might live, so that I might be conformed into his image? Tell me again. It doesn't make sense today. It won't make sense then. But we have a God of love 
who works in and through these horrendous situations. So here's what we can take to the bank today. God is working for those who love Him. God is always working for your good. Christians go through all kinds of things. Your good may not be what you think is best, but we are being made into His image and His likeness. The most these evil things can do is be an instrument in God's hands, conforming us into the likeness of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to put our eyes upon you. Help us not to be convinced that we'll understand everything and how it all plays out. I pray, Lord, that you would mold us and that you would shape us and that you would help us to want to be more like you. I pray that you would give us just a perspective beyond today, tomorrow, the next week. Help us, Lord, to stand here and consider eternity. Help us to remember you are working all things together for our good. Thank you. Jesus, Jesus, it's in your name, based on your righteousness, because of your gift to us that we stand. Amen.